Welcome in to the Corner Three. Taking you around the arc of college basketball. From the NAAC to the Pac-12, the WCC to the SWAC. We cover it all now on 93.7 The Ticket. Here is your host, Austin Orman. That's right. Welcome to it. I feel like I'm kicking off a new era in 93.7 The Ticket Broadcasting. Uh, the first host, I believe, to do one of these new shows live. It's an honor. It's a privilege. Uh, thank DP and Rebecca for the opportunity to do this. Uh, thank Rico for all his work uh, on the back end, helping get stuff set up. Uh, Harrison as well, helping uh, get stuff set up. Nick and Bach, the other producers. Really appreciate them. Again, really appreciate this opportunity to, to have another hour a week to talk about uh, what interests me. Uh, the, these projects were an awesome idea um, from, I don't even know, I don't, don't even know who to give uh, credit uh, for the idea to, but essentially what, uh, what the hosts at 93.7 The Ticket were charged to do was pick an idea, uh, think of a show, go through something that interests them, uh, a passion project, whatever it is. I know we have a couple wrestling shows, maybe a UFC show in the works, um, an esports show. That's right. Two weeknights of Amon Green here on the station. Uh, so whatever it was that, that we were interested in, uh, the higher ups, DP, Mark, Rebecca said, go for it. Go for it. Have an hour. You own this hour. It's yours. Make it what you want within limit, of course, within reason. I'm not going to go overboard here. Um, but, but this show, the corner three, is mine. It's my idea. Uh, the corner three, because I'll be joined by two great guests in a little bit. Guys, I know I respect and appreciate guys that follow Nebraska basketball, but like me have other rooting interests. So I'll introduce them in just a little bit, uh, but also the corner three, because of three topics. That's really what this show is going to be. Uh, we'll air eight to nine here tonight on 93, seven, the ticket. Uh, we might stay eight to nine. We might move seven to eight, still working to uh, get that all hammered out for sure. Either way, Monday nights, we'll be with you for an hour talking college basketball, three topics across the wide world of college basketball. And to me, there wasn't really a, a doubt as to the direction I wanted to go with this show. At the station, you know, I'm lucky enough to work with a, a Husker Hall of Famer, a nine-year NBA vet in Eric Strickland, who knows his way, you know, around the game of basketball, on the court, uh, the politics, the business side, uh, the human side of it off the court, what goes into getting ready to play in college and in the pros. Um, obviously, he knows a lot, but he and I don't get to talk a lot of national college basketball. And I teased this with DP a little bit earlier today when he asked me to talk about the show coming up on, on Old School. The thing about college basketball for me is I find it the easiest sport to just flip up on the TV and, and watch. It doesn't matter who's playing, doesn't matter where they're playing, when they're playing. Uh, ever, ever since middle school, high school, at least, uh, it would be, you know, there's a game on during supper. I get home from, from basketball practice, from a workout, whatever it was. And while I'm eating supper, everyone else is done since I got home late. I, I'm watching supper or watching TV, watching a game in the living room with, with supper. That's, that was just my routine. College football is great. I love it. I love that it's, you know, expanded now to Thursdays, Fridays, and Saturdays, of course, matching on Tuesdays and the odd, you know, Labor Day Sunday game in week one of the season. But to me, it's it's been college basketball. Like like the Open said, from the, the MAAC to the Pac-12, uh, the, the SWAC, 
to the SEC, Big Ten, Big 12. It doesn't matter to me. College basketball, you know, we Strick and I talk a lot about the NBA and how it's, you know, so homogenous. It's threes or nothing. It's boring, too much offense, yada, yada. College basketball almost has the opposite problem. And I would say it's in a good way. There are so many different styles that teams play, so many different personalities of coaches. I mean, there's darn near 360 teams in Division One college basketball. Um, so, you know, you'll watch Alabama play a, a somewhat NBA style threes and dunks. That's all they do. Um, may or may not have to get into Alabama uh, at some point uh, during this show over the summer. But then you can go to the other end, to a team like Virginia or North Texas, even begrudgingly Wisconsin, the way they they grind teams down, uh, they play slow, play a lot of good defense. And there, there's everything in between, uh, you know, pick and roll, motion, all the different kinds of of offenses, the junk defenses, the the David and Goliath feels better in college basketball to me. I mean, we just had maybe the best example of that of all time in the the smallest you know team in Division One last year. Uh, Fairly Dickinson taking down the tallest player in college basketball this year, Zach Eady. I, I do get a little romantic about it, and because it's imperfect, because these guys in college aren't stars. They they just aren't yet. I mean, yeah, they're good players. Some of them stick around for a year. Some of them, it's four or five that it takes to develop into a star, but it's a bunch of guys in a, a similar station of life to where I am, you know, just having graduated college a few years ago, um, you know, really glommed on to college basketball and maybe in the most feverish way at the end of high school and into college. So being able to relate to those players to some degree, obviously not being an athlete myself, I can't tell you, you know, for sure what they go through, but guys around my age, uh, taking classes in college and, Basketball is just fun. You know, they're learning, they're growing in the game still. And you have the star players, you have the all Americans, the players of the year, uh, fun individual races in conference. But part of what to me makes college basketball fun as well is the coaches, their different styles, their personalities. Um, The NBA really a superstar driven league. College basketball doesn't have that. I don't know if college basketball has ever had that. Or, or will ever have it to the same level that the NBA is, you know, driven by star players. Transfer portals like free agency, but it's not the same thing. So those constants in the college game are the official, uh, I mean, coaches, sorry. No, we'll, we'll, we'll save some ref talk for later. But the coaches, like, you know, Coach Kyle Perry at Kentucky, you had, you know, the Staples and Coach K uh, and Jim Beheim before they step away. Uh, you know, Tony Bennett at Virginia, Bill Self at Kansas. There's a lot of names that, you know, kind of rule the sport that preside over it, the names that you go to right away that you think of the sport. And it's an, it's an interesting time too to, to be engaged in college basketball with, with all that change with Jay Wright stepping away uh, the same off season. Uh, Mike Krzyzewski did uh, Bill Self, who knows what that looks like. Um, Coach Cal Perry, there are always rumors about him at Kentucky, right or wrong. And again, one of the guys we'll bring on in a little bit, we'll probably have something to say about that fact with Coach Cal Perry, but Anyways, this is the Corner 3. Thanks for tuning in here. Uh, 293.7, the ticket is a part of Ticket Weeknights. If you're watching on the stream, again, Facebook, YouTube, Twitch, and Twitter have a video version of this available. Uh, You're hearing us on the app or on one of those platforms right now because we've got the Royals going over the air. But uh, the point is, if you're watching the stream, you'll see me in a Duke t-shirt. And that's on purpose because here at the ticket, obviously, we're based in Lincoln, Nebraska, uh, a lot of Husker gear being, being thrown around. 
And I have plenty myself. I wear it plenty. But I, I wore this Duke shirt in honor of maybe the most embarrassing professional experience I had in my life. Uh, for those of you that, that, that don't know, I, I did used to work at the Husker Sports Network as a producer. So I would work the games, uh, work sports nightly there. Uh, that was a couple stops ago now uh, before I end up here at the ticket. Um, but the Duke shirt. Nebraska men's basketball didn't play that night. No game for the Huskers, but Duke did. And they were on the road. So I'm a person that, when I can, likes to match up my wardrobe to what the team is playing. It's my sort of superstition. So, you know, if it's Nebraska and they're at home, I'll find something like a white Husker t-shirt or jacket. I'll wear that. If they're on the road, I'm wearing red, I'm wearing black, something like that. Well, Duke just happened to have a road game. And I'm pretty sure this was a, a Tuesday night. It was either a Tuesday or a Thursday because we had the, the Tim Miles show that night. So in the old setup at the Haymarket uh, for HSN, one of my one of my jobs was to set barricades out for the coaches to park in, just to save them a parking spot. They'd get out, move them, park their car, come on up for the show. Well, this would have been hour two of the show, I want to say. Yeah, probably hour two of the show. So I'm looking out the window, waiting to see if, you know, coaches here hadn't shown up yet. It's a couple minutes to showtime, uh, but that was normal. Uh, look out the window. I see uh, the barricades are still there, but the car's parked there. So I figured that coach was on his way up. I may as well, you know, hop down and grab the barricades. Well, uh, grab the barricades just as coach Miles is getting out of his car. So he and I walk into the building and you have to take an elevator to get up there. Could have taken the stairs, was not about that, am not about that elevator all day for me. So I'm walking with Coach Miles into the building, and he and I were, you know, didn't have a relationship really of any sort, but he's, he's Tim Miles, he's friendly, and, you know, trying to make a good impression. I was, you know, trying to be at least somewhat pleasant and sociable, but we get on this elevator. Uh, it's a three-story ride up to the fourth floor, so four, I guess, if I could do simple math, and Coach Miles sees that I have a, a blue Duke quarter zip on. As I'm in the elevator with Coach Miles, it dawns on me, hey, probably shouldn't have worn a Duke shirt to a Nebraska coaches show. It wasn't the first time I had worn, you know, blue to the Husker Sports Network at that point, but it's the first time I think it had happened in a coaches show. So Coach Miles and I are, are on the elevator, and he's asking me where I got my Duke fandom from. He asked me if I was from North Carolina, if I grew up out there, if I had family that went there. And in a moment of unclear thought, a moment of no foresight in being caught off guard, and honestly, brutal honesty, uh, when Coach Miles asked why it was that I rooted for Duke, if I didn't have family, if I wasn't from out there, I said, well, Coach, it's because I liked watching basketball in March and needed to pick a team. Yep. I told Coach Miles I... Wanted to root for Nebraska in March. They weren't there consistently enough, so I felt the need to pick another team. For those who haven't heard the other story behind that, the first Duke game I ever remember was the one, I think it was a 6-11 game. They, they were the six against VCU, and VCU took them down. My favorite color was blue. You know, Duke got a low seed for them. I'm not hopping on the bandwagon. I, I'm not trying to be the evil empire. I didn't, you know... Pick them for anything other than they were on TV. They were blue. They seemed cool. Come to find out my dad was a Duke fan behind the scenes. He didn't, you know, push that on us like he did the Huskers, but that would have would have come anyways. So yeah, I uh, told Tim Miles his teams weren't successful enough for me to uh, wear the right colors to work. Hopefully you've had better days at work uh, than I did with that. Well, so that's that's the premise of what we're doing here. 
Um, given my Nebraska fandom, given my Duke fandom, the point of this is, yeah, talk a little bit of Huskers when they're in the news, when it's important, but also to give a look around college basketball. Because again, I know that there are a lot of Husker fans listening here that uh, you know want in-depth analysis on Husker basketball. It will give you some of that, but I want to save most of that for On the Block with uh, Strick and I. That's two to four weekdays here on the ticket. So this is going to be more a look at national college basketball headlines uh, here on the corner three. When we come back, I'll introduce our two guests. We've got Matt and Landon with me, kind of the, the inside outsiders, the outside insiders uh, came to Nebraska for college. That's where I met these guys. They, they've studied the team. They know the team, but like me, they have other rooting interests. We'll get a little bit of the backstory. Uh, then we'll dive into uh, the Nebraska ball stuff with KSA being back the composition of the roster uh, X factors and wild cards. So that's what's on tap here on the corner three glad you're along for the ride with us here on 93 7 the ticket as a part of ticket weeknights the corner three will be right back tailored landscapes is actively preparing for spring things like getting new tree orders getting equipment ready and training staff to serve you the best we can if you haven't already planned now is the perfect time to figure out a maintenance plan for your yard we're on the brink of spring cleanups for all of our existing customers and have limited spots left we trim trees and shrubs when needed and only mulch proper amounts give us a call today at 402-432-2572 to set up a meeting with one of our designers and get ready for tailored life's grand opening in bennett you know that feeling after a good, hearty meal? The worries of the world just slip away. Time slows down. Nothing but good times and good company. That's what you get with Mary Ellen's Food for the Soul. Mary Ellen's does food right, with a menu that includes smoked wings, pulled pork, brisket, catfish, and don't sleep on their sides, shrimp and grits, collard greens, baked beans. It's food that makes your heart happy. Mary Ellen's Food for the Soul, just east of 27th and Pineland. Let them fix you a plate. Hey there. Hi, honey. Uh-oh. Remember we told Jamie and Mike about Liberty First Credit Union, how great their checking account and car loans are, the amazing service we get, and how we love being members? Yeah. Well, they took our advice. Jamie said how easy it was to move all their accounts and become members. Now they say they're banking with purpose at Liberty First Credit Union. Learn more about being a member at libertyfirstcu.com. Liberty First Credit Union. Banking with purpose. Member NCUA. There's a lot of realtors in Lincoln, but don't get overwhelmed by all the names. Ben Bleicher with Professional Realtor Group at Berkshire Hathaway Ambassador Real Estate is your go-to option when buying or selling residential and commercial property. Ben's team offers unbeatable customer service and promises to make the buying and selling process as stress-free as possible. Call Ben today at 402-419-6309 for all your real estate needs. Ben Bleicher with Professional Realty Group at Berkshire Hathaway Ambassador Real Estate. No pressure, just professionalism. Problem gambling affects more than the gambler. It affects spouses, children, extended family members, and friends. If you or a loved one is struggling with addiction, contact Choices Treatment Center's helpline at 402-476-2300. That's 476-2300. Hi, it's Joel Norman, the voice of your Lincoln Stars hockey team. Tune in to 93.7 The Ticket every Tuesday night from 8 to 9 p.m. to hear the latest on the Stars with myself, head coach Rocky Russo, and special player guests. At first, I was really nervous and intimidated by a ring. I wasn't sure what I was getting into. My experience at Sarder Heyman was very easy. I felt like I walked out of Sarder Heyman with the ring that was going to make her go wow and say yes. I 
love my ring. It is so beautiful. I absolutely love my ring. I get compliments on it all the time. I always tell them Sarder Heyman. Yeah, we would definitely recommend Sarder Heyman. Yeah, it was great. We're definitely, definitely coming back. <laughs> Sarder Heyman Jewelers, Lincoln and Grand Island, SarderHeyman.com. Hi, it's Charlie Stone again, and with me on the line, Andy Goodyear, General Manager of Honda of Lincoln. Andy, I know how proud you and everyone at the dealership are to earn the prestigious Honda President's Award year after year, 17 times. Tell our listeners what it means to you and your customers. Thanks, Charlie. Yes, all of us are extremely proud to have earned this award, and I want all of our customers to know it's not just earned by one person's efforts. It's the entire dealership sales parts and our amazing service department 17 times wow how does that compare to other honda dealers this award is only given to the most elite dealerships that demonstrate excellence we really do strive to go above and beyond for the ultimate customer experience before and after the sale charlie that's why for 2022 honda of lincoln is once again nebraska's number one volume honda dealer come experience the honda of lincoln way of doing business 27th and yankee hill road or online at hondaoflincoln.com experience the landmark difference with the next level of dealer support landmark your local john deere dealer continually works to have parts on hand the first time you walk in the door our internal route system means we can get the parts to you typically same or next day to keep you up and running. At Landmark, we understand time is money. Get more uptime with our after-hours parts and service support on the phone or in the field. Our sales, precision ag, parts and service teams are ready to serve you this planning season. Stop by your local Landmark today to experience the Landmark difference. Gaina Trucking is hiring CDL Class A and B drivers. Gaina Trucking guarantees a 40-hour work week year-round, and their strong team culture makes it not a job, but a career. Gaina Trucking offers health, vision, and dental insurance, 401k with company match, an employee assistance program, and other bonus programs. Build a better career today with great team culture at Gaina Trucking. Learn more and apply today at gainatrucking.com. Back to the corner three on 93.7 Ticket. Here is your host, Austin Orman. That's right. We're back here on the corner three, and you see two new faces. Let's welcome them in here one at a time. We'll start uh, to my, on the stream, it's the left. To me, it's the right on the computer screen. Our resident Kentucky fan here on the corner three, Matt Hardesty. Matt, thanks for joining. Uh, explain to the people how you got your Kentucky fandom. Uh, half my dad or my dad grew up there. Uh, so like half my family is from that area and it was pretty much brainwashed since birth. So knew about that team before any of the teams in Wisconsin, even the Packers. So, uh, the number one and always that that's how I would, I would put it. And then right uh, beneath the both of us in the center of the screen, Landon Wirt, our resident Oklahoma State fan. Landon, explain the Oklahoma State aspect to people. Yeah, so that is where my father attended college and where a lot of my family members did as well. Uh, my family is largely from Oklahoma, though I live in Kansas now. Um, so that's the way I was brought up. Uh, one of my favorite memories of my family is we sort of made it a tradition to go to the Big Ten or Big Ten, Big 12 tournament every year uh, downtown at formerly the Sprint Center, now the T-Mobile Center. One of my favorite young uh, early memories is my folks pulling me out of school 
which they did on multiple occasions when they played game when Oklahoma State had games uh, on that first day of the tournament when they still play in the afternoon. So that's uh, sort of the upbringing there. And uh, yeah, go folks. <laughs> Sarder Heyman text line 402-464-5685. Let us know who your other team is. We'll uh, see if we can sneak in a word or two about him here. Um, one thing that's very similar between us is Landon is living in the middle of uh, Jayhawk country right now is that all of us hate Kansas for different reasons. They're obnoxious. Their reign of terror needs to end. And God bless Calvin Sampson in Houston for that. We'll touch on that another time. Uh, but guys, let's get into a little Nebraska basketball, not the focus of the show long term, but for tonight, I think it's a good jumping off point. Let's start with Casey Tomonaga, his decision to return one of the most fun Nebraska basketball players, but maybe one of the most important, you know, I don't want to call it additions, but most important semi additions for Nebraska basketball over the offseason. What do you guys make of uh, the six foot two Japanese sharpshooters decision to return to Lincoln? I found it pretty, I mean, it was massive. I think, especially with the, the current climate in college basketball, just to get as many returning scorers back as possible uh, and keep some pieces together, that's something that just Fred hasn't been able to do in his time at Nebraska. And to get a fan favorite that after a little bit of time, I mean, he lived up to the hype and I mean, he's kind of, I'd say exceeded the hype from coming in as just kind of kid out of junior college known as the Japanese Steph Curry to get, to get someone that you can really just drum up excitement and then return just a few of these other pieces as well that maybe weren't the biggest scores, but due to all those injuries last year, like they all got meaningful minutes and actually were played a big part in winning close games down the stretch. So I think, with all the, the movement in the sport to, to keep this group, and, and it's not the most returning. I mean, it's the middle of the Big Ten even. But just to return this much is a, a big step in the right direction for, for the program and one that's been long overdue. Yeah, I, th I think the really neat thing, too, about Casey last year especially was how he really started to flip the switch in Big Ten play. The past couple of years I've, you know, followed along with Casey and his Nebraska tenure. One of the things that I've been most interested in is how sort of he adapts to the level of competition when the games get tougher, the opponents get more challenging. And last year in, in conference play, he really had just an uncanny ability to flip a switch and Pinnacle Bank Arena became a rather, you know, imposing place for opposing teams to go during conference play. And Casey, you know, turning it up was a big reason for that. And, and Matt, you, you spoke to a very important point, you know, it's not necessarily the number of guys that Nebraska has returning, but the quality of those guys is going to make it, you know, so that they have a real shot to compete in the big 10 next year. And, and Casey coming back is a pretty significant step uh, in something that, you know, Fred Hoiberg hasn't really had that roster consistency from year to year. It's really going to be uh, really going to be interesting to see. So they re-add or they retain the services of Kese Tomonaga. Uh, they also bring in four transfers, and I think it's a pretty good crop of them when you look at Josiah Alec, Rinkmast, Aaron Eulis, and Bryce Williams. Landon, we'll start with you. Which of those four do you think was the, the best addition to the roster? Oh, man. Uh, I've got a, I, the two, two really stick out. One I'll touch on briefly. I really think that Rinkmast is this um, archetypal player that is so cool. And I don't think um, 
that Fred Hoiberg's had a guy like him since I almost, I want to say George Niang, but that's what he reminds me of when you put on his tape, the way he can operate in the pick and roll, the way he can pick and pop and shoot threes. Like that is really exciting to me. So first of all, really, 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 really excited to see how ring mass fares. But the one that, that sticks out to me the most has to be Bryce Williams coming over from a quality program like Charlotte that played in a quality conference at the conference USA last year that just, destroyed teams in the postseason across the board. That was a team that ended up winning 20 games, won the CBI. Bryce Williams was the MVP of that tournament. Um, And, you know, when you watch his tape, the thing that is really interesting to me is that he's a three-level scorer. He can shoot the three at at or above average. He can get to the rim, operate in the paint, uh, pretty good on the pull-up too. But I also, you know, a, a nice thing to see in his tape is the way he operates in the pick and roll game too. Charlotte used utilize that pretty heavily with their big man, Ali Khalifa, uh, him and him and Bryce would, would work together pretty frequently. And the way he was able to operate and dribble handoffs, get to the bucket and also create shots for himself out of the pick and roll is going to be something that I think will be a very, very welcome addition to, you know, the Fred Hoiberg offense in Nebraska. Matt, same question to you on the transfers, most impactful, most interesting one. Uh, I have no idea who's going to be the most impactful. Honestly, I do think, Nebraska missed on some like this is a good group they're bringing in and honestly it fits with what you need to win in the Big Ten which is important but I mean you had the chance to bring in a a Hunter Salas or or a Kirk Carissa and maybe not Kirk Carissa as much but especially a a guy like Hunter Salas could have really been an x-factor for for Nebraska but also, when you're returning enough, like as many pieces that have a lot of experience like Nebraska is, you don't need to depend on these guys as much. But I do think Aaron Euless interests me because honestly, looking at just the way he plays, I thought he would have a little more success at Iowa, but also he didn't really, his style really doesn't fit how Iowa plays. Like he is more of a defensive minded guy. Uh, a little bit more undersized than like a lot of Iowa's guards. Um, so honestly, the fit there didn't make sense and good on him for going to the transfer portal. But with Fred trying to focus more on being a hard-nosed defensive team, Euless seems like someone that actually could really thrive in this role where, I mean, you don't need him to be taking a lot of shots with the guys around, but I, th- I think he's someone that, you don't need him to hit, but if he does, it's going to be a, a really special season. Especially, again, he's got a lot of other guards around him as well, like Casey, Jamarcus Lawrence, even C.J. Wilcher, uh, plus these newcomers. It, I think he that's a lot of good pieces to work with that uh, really could free him up to focus on defense, I'd say. We'll so, get to the roster construction in just a sec here um but matt you brought up the, the hard nose more defensive style a christian lincoln on the text line uh asks do we assume they'll play a similar style this upcoming season or will it be more like it was early on with uh fred hoiberg and his earlier teams i think it's going to be a mix of both i don't think the scheme is going to change dramatically i could see them using rink mast uh in that elbow to even popping out to the three-point line similarly but that's where I think getting Juwan Gary back from injury is huge to set the tone. Uh, getting Euless out of the portal, like you said, Matt, with the, the defensive energy more what he's known for, 
And even an energy guy like Josiah Alec, I think he's a guy that's seen a lot of college basketball uh, that will fit into that, that energy. And even if he's not, you know, the, the best on ball or off ball defender, he's, he's a grown man. He knows what's going on in the college game. He won't be a liability. He'll dig his heels in. He'll work on, on that end. So I don't think it's going to, you know, look the same schematically necessarily, but I do think there was a legitimate culture shift last year brought about by uh, coaches Ziegler and Howard on the bench. And then really, I think the key additions were Bandamel and Gary because they brought that, that toughness, that fight on, on both ends of the court. They, they hustled for offensive rebounds. Juwan Gary had a hand in so many of those last year and then set the tone on the other side. So stylistically, It'll be similar, but I still think they they accomplish their goals on offense a little bit differently. And let's dive into that with the roster construction. To me, guys, I look up and down this roster and I see guards. I see a lot of guards and a lot of guards that deserve to play. You have Ulyss you bring in in the transfer portal. You have Tomanaga that you get back after a breakout season last year. Uh, Jamarcus Lawrence wasn't expected to contribute, but really jumped on the scene after Bandamel went down. Sam Hoiberg forced his way into the rotation. I mean, he's what Johnny Trueblood wanted to be straight up. God bless Sam Hoiberg and the work he did uh, winning that Maryland game. And then you have Ramel Lloyd, who I think is an interesting kind of guard wing hybrid who can be really good on offense and he'll have to you know, keep bulking up on defense. But he's a fascinating piece to me. So five guards is a lot. You need depth. But someone in that group is going to be pushed out of the rotation even though they're a really good basketball player. Yeah, it's a it's a fascinating uh, construction of a roster, especially when you look at it's the Big Ten. Um, I do think the offense is going to change just because you don't have Derek Walker to to rely on for running the offense through it through him uh, when times get tough, like they really started to do last year a lot. And I'm kind of curious to see how they use some of these bigs because they got a lot of they've got a lot of size. I've always liked just I mean Blaze Kata has the the look of like a big ten big man. Kind of reminds you of some of those Maryland dudes that Mark Turgeon had in the, the late 2010s. <laughs> he just seemed to find a new one every year. Um but at the same time they're all kind of they're either unproven had injury problems or kind of taking a step up in competition and I mean, you're in the big 10, so it's, it's a a big, big step up. So I'm kind of fascinated to see if they try to find like a, a similar mold for the offense, or if they really start to embrace more of almost like a small ball lineup and just use a lot of wings and kind of like those old Iowa state teams, but maybe without the, the same amount of tempo. You, yeah, you say, I, I, go for it. yeah, I just think that there is still going to be some value in Nebraska trying to do what it did last year, which is go inside out. I mean, they closed Nebraska closes last year, 55th nationally, two point percentage. Now, Derek Walker was a big reason <laughs> for that. But if you can get, you know, a combination of Alec and mass to operate in sort of like the two different, like, I feel like both of them combined can make at least one Derek Walker and maybe bring a little bit more to the table with, uh, you know, Mast's ability to shoot the three. So I feel like it's still going to be pick and roll. They're still going to try to get to the rim, but where you'd like to see some improvement is the outside shooting. And with the guard play Nebraska 
you know, retains and brings in. Uh, and even a guy like Bryce Williams, who I mentioned earlier, who's an above average three point shooter at Charlotte. Uh, if, you know, the, there's still the out part of the inside out. And if Nebraska can get um, the three ball rolling this year, even at a little bit higher of a clip than, you know, just under 33% as, as a team, um, things could really start to get accomplished here. And yeah, you know, the tempo, is a is a big you know it's always been a big thing uh, at least in the earlier parts of Fred Hoiberg's tenure but they really have seemed to you know kind of pick their spots with that and get way more under control um so it's going to be really cool to see how this sort of seasoned group uh merges and adapts and yeah I am also you know the big men are is, is another thing there that sticks out to me too I'm really curious to see how Alec fits into that the whole equation there is is Alec is he a, an athletic, bouncy, smaller, big, or is he a bigger wing that you play the three, four instead of the four or five? I still don't know. Landon, you probably watched a little more late night New Mexico games than I did. I was more yeah, of a Fresno uh, State guy myself. So I'd love to hear your thoughts on, on Josiah. Mainly UMKC. Uh, <laughs> let's not forget that that's where um, Josiah started. Respect this time. to the ruse. Um, yes, respect to the Ruse, great program. Um, but I don't know. I mean, he did operate in at UMKC. Uh, it was interesting because you know when I watched those games, yes, uh, generally speaking, they would keep him on the block. He would post up and operate down there, more relying on getting rebounds. And New Mexico, he did sort of operate more as a pick and roll guy and get out, play out on the wing a little bit. He was a bit more outside at New Mexico because that team had some size too, in addition to um, Josiah Alex. So it was a little bit more of a hybrid four-ish, five-ish role as opposed to more of a traditional big uh, at UMKC, which does offer some positional versatility and why I think that there's probably a world in which either Alec or Mast maybe share the floor at times against a taller team like, say, uh, Purdue or maybe a Kata and Alec situation too. I think that there's a world in which, you know, we see both of those guys, a combination of two of the three on the court at the same time. So, I mean, the versatility that this roster has is just something that really, really intrigues me. Um, and how they deploy Josiah Alec, because he's, he's a versatile player uh, and can finish, you know, in and around the rim in a variety of different ways, defend a couple of different positions. Um I mean, it's just Fred Hoiberg has got a good problem on his hands. He's got a lot of different guys that can fill a lot of different roles. And I think it's – oh, go ahead. I was going to just touch on the bigs with with that situation. If Al can you know slide between the four and the five, maybe the three in this weird supersized lineup, depending who else is on the floor, your only other two bigs on the roster are Rink Mast and Blaze Cade. And I don't know if there are two more different bigs across the country rink mass the the offensive kind of hub and playmaker with some range blaze kata you know the defensive stopper on the interior let's start with kata we saw him last year uh, hampered by injuries especially the ankle that kept him off the floor showed he could be an impactful rebounder but what i want to see from blaze kata is be more authoritative no layups only dunks fewer charges more block shots nebraska hasn't had a tone setter on the interior for a long time and i think if blaze kata can take that that mental and emotional step forward into you know being an actual tough guy on the block i think that fits in perfectly with Ulysses and with gary to give nebraska one of those guys at each level of the defense completely agree i think keeping him healthy healthy would would do wonders for for this group next year just to get him consistent playing time and find a rhythm 
And I also just think a lot of next year, I mean, as much as you don't want to say it, but it does depend a lot on how the rest of the big 10 is, is doing and what, and how they're looking. So I, it's still hard to tell how they match up against a lot of very different teams next year in the big 10. But last year, a lot of those teams did kind of favor Nebraska's style of play with how they were constructed and their efficiency metrics and so on. It was a little bit of a lighter big 10 than years. Like, especially since Fred came here, it was a lot like a little bit easier of a conference. And I'm, I'm curious to see how that, that evolves this year with the, the rest of the big 10, because that, that does play a part in it. Like you don't win, what was it? Eight or 10 games in the big 10 without, you know, getting some breaks against rebuilding teams like Nebraska did last year. Yeah. The uh, Blaze Cata's development is something that's going to be very, very pivotal to track. Uh, at least, you know, in Fred Hoiberg's tenure, Nebraska really hasn't had a legit, like a racer at the rim. And if Kata can become, and by the way, a racer, like using that word to describe a big man, one of my favorite things to oh, do. 100%. Because <laughs> that is like, when you, you know, when you can describe like a big man, especially in college basketball as an racer, like, you know, that that guy is just, it's, it's a no fly zone around the rim. But anyways, uh, Blaze Kata, yeah, he was great last year in spots and he was a really, you know, proven offensive rebounder. But if he can really take, the step towards becoming like, okay, this is the rim. I'm going to protect this paint and just block everything. I, you know, obviously that's not, you know, not blocking everything, but uh, his, you know, growth as a defender is going to be something that's going to be very, very important to what Nebraska's ceiling is, I think, because, you know, despite some of the stylistic differences in the Big Ten, you still, nine times out of 10, it's going to come down to how well you defend the paint and how well do you defend some of the Big Ten's best big men? Because at the end of the day, you know, when push comes to shove, that's going to make the difference between winning and losing these games. You know, for as far as the Big Ten probably still needs to go to win games in March Madness and maybe get away from that, you know, sort of paint-driven, inside-dominated style of play. The fact of the matter is that Nebraska is going to have to figure out, to, you know, how to win, you know, if there's – going to be a leap next year how to win more of those games and you know having blaze Kata consistently available as a guy to you know defend the zacchies of the world for instance uh will be you know a massive boost uh to this huskers team in 2024 and i'm very excited in future weeks to really get into some of this this new look big 10 coming up because boy i i've got thoughts <laughs> <laughs> It's a fascinating conference. The last position group that we have to talk about with Nebraska then is the wings. And this to me is the group that really holds the fascination. And to me, I don't know if it's an X factor group or a wild card group, however you want to phrase it, but Bryce Williams is either a, you know, a tall skinny guard, or he's kind of a regular size kind of athletic wing. Uh, Ramel Lloyd in a similar kind of more ball handling oriented uh, frame. Juwan Gary, I think, is a true wing that can slide up to the four or emergency five. CJ Wiltshire, I don't think, has the ball handling chops that he's shown consistently. So I put him more as a secondary kind of wing guy. And then Josiah Alex in this combination, too. These are your versatile pieces that can help you play big, they can help you play small. But again, to me, the key for this group is going to be the three point shooting. Because if Bryce Williams can shoot, you know, 37, 38% from three or more, that goes a long way. That's a piece Nebraska hasn't had before. Juwan Gary 
never going to be a knockdown shooter, but if he can hit the open ones like he did for the most part last year off of drive and kick, that goes a long way. CJ Wilcher, if he can be a spark plug off the bench with his three-point shooting, get back to that same 38 to 40 range, that's huge. And then Josiah Alec, I don't think he's going to be asked to create, but if he can be a three and D hustle, you know, again, knock down the open ones, he and Jawan Gary could be an absolute nightmare for teams trying to match up with their size on offense and then trying to get around him on defense. Yeah, I mean, well, a couple of things. For starters, yes, the three-point shooting is absolutely paramount. I, I had to go back and, you know, use my reference points here. But under uh, under Fred Hoiberg, Nebraska has not uh, been ranked better than, I think, 194th was the highest clip nationally, uh, three-point percentage. Yeah, you, you the, the disgusted look on your face, Austin, is is rather, rather fitting. And the thing with that I'll touch on with Ramel Lloyd that really fascinates me is people sort of forget about the success of the sit out transfers under Fred Hoiberg. And it kind of hasn't been talked about as much because of NIL and the waiver rules going away. And it's sort of made it, you know, less really important. Uh, and of course, Ramel Lloyd isn't a transfer. He's an incoming freshman, but the players that Nebraska had that sat out under Fred Hoiberg, your Delano Bantons, your Derek Walkers ended up when they were integrated into the fold being hugely impactful players. And Ramel Lloyd has essentially had a redshirt year. Like I said, of course, not a transfer, but with a year of development like that, I mean, I'm sure that, you know, the skills he'll have on display will even look different from, you know, his well, highly acclaimed high school career, of course, at Sierra Canyon. So Ramel Lloyd is a guy that really is one of the absolute true wild cards of this roster, just based on the sole fact that guys with his talent level that have had that year of development and sitting out under Hoiberg have come in and been just ridiculously impactful. So that's a guy that I'm really looking at, um, you know, as we get into 2024 as someone that could really, really, I mean, maybe start, um, probably start, but really be a huge uh, piece of the team. Yeah. I'm kind of fascinated to see, uh, what he, if he like kind of what his role is with this group. And it's kind of nice that this is a year that Nebraska gets a foreign trip. I think they're going to what Spain, Spain. Yep. Yeah. So I'm, I don't know if those games will be streamed or not, but just to see kind of what Fred experiments with those, those games and just, I mean, all these new pieces, I mean, I think that's a big reason everyone's doing these foreign trips now, Nebraska included is because when you, when you bring it, I mean, you can only do them once every four years, but especially now that you're bringing in all these first-year guys or even your redshirt guys in this case, it's kind of fascinating to, you know, you get a few extra exhibition games really to play with the pieces and see, you know, what you've got in the cupboard. Okay, last thing for you guys. Again, thanks for jumping on here for some time. Um, the last thing I've got for you, lay out for me your prediction for Nebraska basketball starting lineup this fall. With the group as we know it, assuming no injuries, uh, Matt, we'll start with you. What's your starting lineup for Nebraska basketball this fall? Oh gosh, um, honestly, I've thought a lot about next season. I haven't really thought of a lot about who Nebraska would actually start. Um, Casey is an, an obviously an obvious one. Uh, also, I'd probably say Rink Mast. Um, Jawan Gary, if he's healthy, I would like Sounds to see like him. Sounds like he should be. 
yeah, I'd like to see him back. I think he's another piece that we haven't really talked about tonight, but big fan of, uh, you know, what he brings to a team. He, again, he started at Michigan, moved to the SEC and came back, but he's another one of those guys that's made for the Big Ten. So let's see, I've got Casey, Gary, Rinkmast. Um, I mean, probably Bryce Williams, no. Uh, you're starting lineup. <laughs> what? It's up to you. It's your starting lineup. If you think he is great, if not, leave him out. I know this is tough though. Cause it's like, you've got, I don't know. I, it really just depends. I, I'm glad I'm not being paid to do this because it's like, <laughs> you got a lot of guys that seem kind of even footed, but um, yeah, I guess I'd throw Euless in there too, just for a starting true point guard, but wouldn't be surprised if by mid season that, that turns into like a Jamarcus Lawrence or something. If he's All right, Landon. Up, no idea. Landon, you're starting five. Yeah, um, Eulis definitely the point. The Big Ten familiarity sort of wins out there in the veteran savvy. It'll be interesting to see how this goes as the season progresses. But you know, for starters, I think Eulis, um, Kase definitely. Uh, that's sort of that's sort of a layup there. I the three and four spots I think are the ones that are far and away the most challenging to decide because I would start rink mast at the five. Um, and then at the three and four, I would probably go Jawan Gary and CJ Wilcher. Uh, I, I do agree, Matt. Jawan Gary is a guy that we definitely need to talk about way more because he was so important uh, in the first part of the season, the little bit of conference play. And I just, I don't know. I, I feel like CJ Wilcher is really due for a consistent, really solid, strong year. Um, and it's a guy that I've, I've quite enjoyed watching and seeing him develop. And I think that he's a guy that might be ready for, you know, a next step forward. So going with a little bit of familiarity in my, in my uh, hypothetical starting five here. I like it, but here's the right answer for both of you. Aaron Euless starts at the beginning of the year. Ramel Lloyd takes his spot shortly after Christmas. Uh, I think you also bring that edge off the bench, but I think that familiarity to get off on the right foot is huge. Casey is a slam dunk. I don't think Nebraska has seen anyone like Bryce Williams in a long time. I think the combination of his offensive game, his length, his shooting ability, gives Nebraska a dynamic it hasn't had in a long time. I mean, Hanif Cheatham was maybe the outline, but I think Bryce Williams is more athletic and a better shooter. So he's my three. Juwan Gary, if he's fully healthy, absolutely at the four. If he's still recovering, I think I throw Josiah Alec in there, but I'm banking on and hoping for a full recovery for Juwan Gary. And I have Rink Mast in there. I do think that there's going to be a lot of pressure put on uh, Euless and Gary to start defensively, but I think Mast is fine. I don't think there's anyone in the Big Ten like Hunter Dickinson that's going to stretch him out to the perimeter where he's maybe a little bit of a liability. He's a big enough body uh, that knows how to handle things down in the post. And I think that's what he'll be asked to do. So there you have it. There are Nebraska basketball starting five predictions. Matt Landon, thanks a ton for hopping on, guys. Uh, we'll talk more cats. We'll talk more pokes, hopefully, in the future. Uh, but thanks a ton for jumping on. Thanks for having us. Yeah, of course. Thank you, Austin. This is fun to be. The gang's back. It's fun. The gang is back indeed. That'll do it for this segment. Uh, I'll put a bow on the show when we get back here to the Corner 3. You're listening to the Corner 3 on 93.7 The Ticket.
More college basketball analysis after this timeout. This is Bud Seinhorst, president and CEO of LIBA, the Lincoln Independent Business Association. Join us every Saturday from 9 to 10 a.m. on 93.7 The Ticket for the LIBA Business Hour as we discuss local business and highlight those who are thriving in the Lincoln area. It's the LIBA Business Hour, Saturdays from 9 to 10 a.m. on 93.7 The Ticket and theticketfm.com. When you're high, you feel different. You think different, you talk different, you draw different, you listen to music different, but you probably knew that. Problem is, you also drive different, and not in a good way. That's why driving high is illegal everywhere. So if you're high, just don't drive. Make a plan to get a sober ride. Because if you feel different, you drive different. Brought to you by NHTSA and the Ad Council. Victor deployed for the first time to Afghanistan in 2003. At 4 in the morning, my phone rang. They said, I regret to inform you that your husband was wounded in action. Victor sustained a moderate traumatic brain injury. I was doing school full time, and I was also then caring for Victor. One of the most important elements of caregiving is taking care of yourself. I just didn't want to forget that I also had goals and that I also had a life. What I did is I challenged Victor to meet me halfway. There are almost 6 million military and veteran caregivers across the nation. We have our own journey and we can fulfill that journey at the same time that we are helping our loved one. Visit aarp.org caregiving for a free military veterans guide to navigate your caregiving journey and better care for your loved one and yourself. Brought to you by AARP and the Ad Council. The Ticket Water Cooler. Casey Tamanaga is returning to Nebraska. Just elevates the ceiling of what Nebraska basketball can be this upcoming year. This feels this feels good. Nebraska basketball feels oh, yeah. good going in. When you when you think of Casey Tomanagi, you think of three, right? And obviously he shot 40% from three-point range this last season. Just a, just a highlight waiting to happen with him. And I believe that his cuts off the ball on the offensive end and his ability to finish quickly, he just catches it and finishes it all in one motion. I think that's going to be extremely important for him. On 93.7 The Ticket and theticketfm.com. One in three adults has prediabetes. One in three. That means it could be you, your football buddy, your football buddy, or you, your best man, your worst man, you, your dog walker, your cat jogger. While one in three adults has prediabetes, with early diagnosis, prediabetes can be reversed. Take the risk test at doihaveprediabetes.org. That's doihaveprediabetes.org. Wait, did they just say one in three adults has prediabetes? That's 33.33333% of adults. That means it could be me, my boss, or my boss's boss, or me, my favorite sister, or my other sister. That's seven members of my 21-person romantic book club. <gasps> Wait, the one in three could be me, my karaoke partner, Carol, or ugh, my karaoke enemy, Jeff. I'm going to take the risk test at doihaveprediabetes.org. Brought to you by the Ad Council and its pre-diabetes awareness partners. The Drive with AD and Raph. Was this season a stepping stone or a stone in the shin? One to think that it's a stepping stone, but unfortunately, I think the people that we're going to lose are going to be back in the same situation. I think again next year, you're going to have to you're going to have to find a few hitters and you're going to, have to find some pitching. So, I unfortunately, I think it's not a stepping stone. You have to replace your first baseman, your second baseman, your shortstop, your center fielder, your Friday night starting pitcher, your Saturday night starting pitcher, three 
quality relievers, your backup third baseman, backup catcher, and backup in weekdays from 8 to 10 on 93.7 The Ticket and theticketfm.com. Back to the corner three on 93.7 The Ticket. Here is your host, Austin Orman. That's right. I'm with you for another few minutes here on the corner three. Great first uh, hour of the show. Uh, for show, I guess. We're not going multiple hours, at least not yet. Thanks to Matt Landon for hopping on uh, there in that middle segment, helping me break down uh, the returns, the additions to Nebraska men's basketball uh, and some potential lineup combinations. But uh, to finish out the show, we're going to talk about something that's been on my mind for a minute, and that's Florida Atlantic. No, I'm not still starry-eyed over their March Madness run to the Final Four, although it was cool, although I respect the heck out of it. Florida Atlantic has been on my mind because the preseason top 25s have been coming out. Obviously, way too early. Obviously, we're you know many months away from the start of college basketball season. But you look up and down uh, these lists, well, you don't really have to look down that far to find Florida Atlantic of all programs, again, fresh off their Final Four run last year, being ranked inside the top 10 in a lot of these way too early preseason top 25s. But even inside the top five, that I don't fully understand. Here's I'll lay out the case for and against Florida Atlantic in the preseason top five. The case for is that they get everybody back. Everybody except one player, Michael Forrest, uh, returns to uh, Coach Dusty May's team. Of course, he signed a big extension to stay in Boca Raton over the offseason. All but one player's back from a team that you know, won 30 regular season games last year. Uh, they won the Conference USA regular season title, uh, as well as the tournament title on their way to uh, the Final Four. They played a fun style. Again, not a huge team, uh, but one that did it from the perimeter. They were gritty, played situational defense really, really well. And they were a lot of fun. They dominated Conference USA last year, bringing everybody back. You, you think that's a good place to start? Well, here's the case against Florida Atlantic. Case number one is that they're moving to the American Athletic Conference. That's right. Houston uh, and UCF, as well as Cincinnati, are on their way out. And the American is adding a lot of new teams, uh, including UAB, uh, Charlotte, North Texas, Rice, and uh, Texas San Antonio, UTSA, as well as Florida Atlantic. A lot of places Florida Atlantic hasn't gone before, styles they haven't seen before. And with all this conference realignment, I mean, I know that these uh, musical chairs games are happening all over the place, but this is still, you know, a power six, maybe seven conference. I suppose the sixth would be the Big East and probably rank the American there after it. But it should be a step up in competition when you you add SMU to the schedule, you add uh, Memphis to the schedule, a Tulane team that had its moments up and down. Um, Tulsa with Frank Haith has been here and there. Wichita State also in there. I don't know what the Shockers are going to be. That's another team I want to dive into uh, this offseason. But I do think, generally speaking, that this will be a a step up in competition uh, for the Owls. The other argument I have against Florida Atlantic is, look what happened to North Carolina. The way that team fell apart after its surprise national championship game uh, run in year one under Hubert Davis. Uh, Not year one for Dusty May, but sometimes bringing everyone back means they get a little too comfortable. 
I think we saw that with North Carolina. Uh, of course, some some rumors behind the scenes there. I'm less worried about chemistry issues with this Owls team uh, than what ended up happening with North Carolina. But I worry that there's too much familiarity. Um, the guys get, you know, big heads, tried to do too much, take on more after they had their star turns last March. So I, I do think there are, there are warning signs there for Florida Atlantic. All that to say, they'll still be good. I, I find it hard to believe that they will have a huge drop off uh, to missing the NCAA tournament and having their season on the brink of collapse multiple times, uh, like last year's preseason number one at North Carolina did. And yes, I will continue to rub that fact in because again, wearing a Duke shirt, they're my second team. I'm going to keep doing that. But Florida Atlantic's going to be good. Don't get me wrong. They're fun. I'm excited to watch them. But I'm mostly disappointed that we're ranking them in the top five or even the top 10 to some degree because I worry we're setting them up to fail. With that step up in competition, you know, the sequel's never as good as the original. It's hard to follow that up. Is, is it a Final Four or bust season for Florida Atlantic? I find it hard to believe for a team that, you know, hadn't made the tournament, I don't think, ever, that hadn't won the conference title, that, you know, marched its way to a Final Four by the skin of its teeth in some cases, won some tight games, beat some teams it shouldn't have. They earned everything every inch, every win they got last season. They deserve their flowers. I think they got them, but I don't want us to set them up for disappointment and and failure, us as a, a college basketball consuming general public. Because the more expectations we place on a mid-major, even if they just have a regular good season, if it's not historic, if it's not Cinderella, we're going to crush them. Oh, they aren't as good. Oh, they brought everyone back. Oh, how did they fall short? Really, the only analog to what Florida Atlantic can do this year is what we saw in 2010 and 2011 with Butler. That's essentially the story we're talking about Florida Atlantic needing to write for this season to not be considered a disappointment or a failure. And I think that's unfortunate. I wish I wish Coach May and the Owls the best of luck this season. We'll be following them. But my my advice to you, my warning is don't overrate them. Let them be fun. Let them exist. Let them be who they are. Follow along. Enjoy them. But don't crush them if things don't go exactly the same as they did last season. That'll put a bow on a great first week here of the Corner 3. Again, it's been awesome kicking off a, a new little uh, summer era of ticket weeknights here on 93.7 The Ticket. Now, again, big thanks to, to DP Rebecca Mark for seeing this project through in action. Big thanks to uh, Matt and Landon for hopping on last segment to talk Nebraska basketball. And thanks to you for listening. Uh, I'll talk to you tomorrow during On the Block. We'll be out at Buffalo Wings and Rings at 40th and Old Cheney. Uh, that'll be On the Block. And then a week from now, I'll talk to you again on the Corner 3. For everyone else, I'm Austin. It's been fun. We'll do it again soon. You're listening to the Corner 3 on 93.7 The Ticket.